Welcome to Nightmares and Grief, a place to explore and celebrate the darkness. Each episode, I'll read stories written by me, Derek Heisey. Today's episode is the final part of a three-part series. If you miss part one or two, check those out first and get caught up. I'll be here when you get back. Now, settle in, check under the bed, and pour a drink for the skeletons in your closet. It's time to start. Venus in Running Shorts He'd finished tying her to the chair long before she opened her eyes. Her mouth swelled up around a bruise the size and color of a plum, and the blood that had trickled down her temple was dry and black. It only took her a few seconds before she started flailing, and just a few more after that to start crying. Melvin sat in a chair before her, smoking a cigarette, hands on his thighs and his back straight and tall as he waited for her to calm down. Her mouth was covered in duct tape that he'd taken from her kitchen sundries drawer, and he wasn't afraid of her screaming. The music was on and the blinds were drawn and she couldn't make that much sound. He smoothed back his sweat-soaked hair and waited. Charlotte did not calm down. Melvin ground out his cigarette on the sole of his shoe and flicked away the butt. He returned his hands to his thighs and said, Hush now, you need to hush. Charlotte did not hush. Her eyes were wild and bright and stared frantically into his, hatefully into his. Melvin leaned in, and a little louder this time, told her to hush. When she didn't respond, he lunged out of his seat and slapped her, making a sound like snapping wood, and in the same motion, he smoothed out his hair again. Charlotte hushed. She hung her head, and her shoulders shook with tiny, silent weeping. Gavin sat in the corner of the living room on the floor, curled into himself and shaking. Melvin, 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 shut up! You wanted my help and now you've got it. Here I am, Gav, in all my great green glory. Charlotte looked at Melvin like he was crazy, and he squeezed her cheeks together. Don't mind me. Melvin's face was close to Charlotte's, speckling it with his saliva. I'm just talking to the little voice in my head. It's just a little one, but it's real awful needy. He let her go and patted her roughly on the cheek a few times. 
Melvin hovered there, his breathing heavy, and looked at her like food, like a buffet spread with so many choices he couldn't decide where to begin. He started at her forehead. He kissed it softly, and she shuddered, squeezing her eyes shut. Melvin continued down the line of her face, leaving a trail of kisses progressively more vicious, moving down the edge of her eye socket and following the trail of her tears to the bone of her jaw. When he got to her neck, he started biting. They were nibbles, tender like those of a lover, but only remained that way for the first few. They soon evolved and became hungry, violent, and soon after that devolved into those of a predator eating away at prey. Melvin drew blood. When he got to Charlotte's shoulder, he took out flesh. Behind the tape, she tried to scream, but Gavin could scarcely hear the muffled sound from his corner of the room. Melvin stood up straight and wiped the blood off his mouth while he chewed. In the other room, the music hung as solemn in the air as if it were a dirge. Gavin vomited on the carpet. He held himself up on his hands and knees and let what little food he'd eaten spill out of him until he had nothing. And then, just off time with the music, went huh, 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 as he dry heaved. Melvin loosened his tie and unbuttoned the top of his shirt. He rolled up his sleeves that were still covered in the blood from his mouth. Charlotte was weeping and bleeding into her dress. Through tears, Gavin asked as loud as he could, What are you doing? Melvin finished lighting the cigarette and plucked it out of his mouth to shoot smoke to the ceiling. He fiddled with his zippo, using both of his hands to open and close it, replacing the cigarette before he spoke. I'm doing the same thing you do, Gav. I'm doing all the shit you've never had the fucking backbone to do yourself. He tapped his chest with the fingertips of the hand holding the cigarette, leaning towards Gavin as he did, his movements frantic and angry. I'm doing what you've always been capable of doing but never could. I'm saving you, Gavin. I'm doing all those things that are coiled inside of you waiting to unravel and strike. He opened his arms wide like Christ the Redeemer and grinned. 
This is how you get saved. But this isn't what I wanted! Charlotte looked desperately between the two of them, or rather, between where Melvin stood and where Melvin looked, and the look in her eyes suggested that she understood her doom. Melvin waved his hand before his face, like wafting a foul smell away, and his cigarette traced fine patterns in the air. That doesn't matter. What you wanted never mattered. Melvin wandered into the kitchen and washed his hands while singing the alphabet. Then he moved to the knife block, hovering his hand over it, his fingers dancing as he lingered and decided. The smallest. He removed the paring knife. He swayed to the music as he returned to Charlotte at the chair. Gavin wondered why he could not move. How does it feel to be on the other end? Melvin crouched before Charlotte. He could have been speaking to her, but Gavin knew he was not. He watched Charlotte and his heart sunk. Her eyes followed the blade as Melvin moved it side to side. It reminded him of playing with a cat, and the realization made his stomach turn. Melvin turned to look at Gavin. I asked you a question. Charlotte, seemingly fed up with Melvin's game, shouted something from behind the tape. She leaned forward as far as she could and veins popped from beneath her skin on her forehead. Her eyes bulged with fury. Gavin didn't understand her at all. But Melvin seemed to. Melvin seemed to understand her better than Gavin did. I told you, I'm just talking to Gavin. He's a dweeb, a greasy little fuck stain on my brain. Melvin tapped his temple with the tip of the paring knife, holding it between his fingers and twisting it back and forth. Gavin's blood ran hot. He clenched his teeth and his fists and glared up, rising from his place in the corner, uncurling like a snake. I'm not the voice, Melvin. You are. Melvin's eyes widened and his lips parted at first. He froze and stared at Gavin, but he recovered quickly enough. What makes you think that's the way it rolls? What makes you think I'm you and not that you're a part of me? I was here first. Clucking his tongue and shaking his head, Melvin dropped his gaze to the floor. He looked disappointed. He pushed his knees to stand upright and pulled his tie out a little further. Spreading his arms wide, Gavin could imagine him at the center of a ring, of the big top in a tall hat and a shiny red vest, 
gesturing to acrobats and lions and clowns shouting gleefully into dark crowds. Where do you end? And where do I begin, Gav? Gavin looked over to Charlotte, who was looking at the place where he was. She didn't seem to recognize, but she seemed to see. Gavin sprung headfirst into Melvin and a terrible roar tore through his whole body and came out of an open mouth. He pinned Melvin down, but as soon as he raised a fist, Melvin sent one flying. Gavin's jaw felt like it had been knocked out of place and he fell to the side. Melvin was on him. The little paring knife raised high above his head, clutched in both hands. Gavin rolled his upper body forward and pushed at Melvin at the shoulders, pinning him on the ground again, but Melvin got him once, twice, three times with the knife, and Gavin felt wetness, hotness, drip down his torso and spread across his shirt. The pain made it hard to focus, but it also made him stronger. Vision veiled in red, Gavin snatched the mug off the coffee table and roared again. The ceramic shattered against Melvin's forehead and he shouted too, punching Gavin in the throat with his offhand and plunging the knife into his side with the other. Gavin's vision was starting to blur and he felt sticky all over and all he wanted to do was sleep but before he let the darkness take him, he raised the handle of the mug jagged and sharp like broken horns and plunged the two ends into Melvin's eyes. Then he collapsed and saw no more. When he came to, the first thing he noticed was the antiseptic stink. Around him buzzed the ambient hum of machines, occasionally pierced by a high-pitched beep or raspy mechanical inhale. He could not see. He felt like part of him had died. His whole body ached, and the pain seemed to throb to the beep, beep, beep of the monitor. Raising a hand to his face met him not with skin, but bandages. He attempted to sort through his thoughts and memories, but they floated about him like shipwrecked debris. He struggled to piece events together. He remembered, he remembered a man in a treadmill. He remembered a camera and a woman... You're awake. The voice emerged from the void, tinted with surprise. Good morning. At the foot of the bed, something clattered. He assumed it was the chart. I'm Dr. Patton. Do you remember anything? He screwed up his face and realized that he was trying to move his eyes to look for answers. Knowing that he sent his commands to empty sockets made him dizzy. There was a fight. That's right. You received multiple stab wounds. 
It was quite brave of you. He frowned. It seemed difficult to remember things without his eyes to help him search. Brave? Don't you remember? He shook his head. The woman who you were coming to see, she told us you came in after you heard her scream. He still did not remember, but little chunks were coming back, floating to the surface. And Dr. Patton's account didn't seem right. Are you sure? She nodded. Memory loss is expected. You lost a lot of blood. You're lucky she was studying to be a doctor. If she hadn't, you'd be dead right now, no doubt about it. His frown deepened. Nothing the doctor said sounded right at all. And it didn't sound like something he'd do. Dr. Patton touched his arm and he jumped. It's okay. You're going to be okay. Get some rest. You've earned it. I'll keep the police at bay for as long as I can. He sensed her presence, hovering, waiting, and then listened to the soft squeak of her shoes as she left. He sifted through the rubble of his mind until sleep took him. When the police came, he told them about the fight because that was all he could remember. There were two of them, a man and a woman, and their voices were seeped in the sort of weariness that simple sleep could not cure. The man's voice was wide, raspy, and bored, while the woman's was like a switchblade. He couldn't tell if that was part of their shtick or if it was their strategy. It was so bizarre to watch by listening. They asked his name, his address, his occupation, and he couldn't answer any of the questions. They had to ask, they said, because the ambulance couldn't find his wallet on him. How was, how was he going to pay for all this treatment? He'd have to remember sometime if he was going to pay up. Dr. Patton said that the patient was getting frustrated, and the stress it would cause after such a traumatic incident could only hinder his recovery. They could talk to him later. She shooed him out the door, but... The scent of suspicion lingered even after they left. Once they were gone, she walked back to his bed and slowly put her hand back on his arm. He didn't jump this time. Where's Charlotte? Why hasn't she come see me? She's in the hospital too. The man who stabbed you put her in critical condition. You got the worst of it, though. He could hear the smile in her voice. She sounded kind, resilient, intelligent. He smiled back and nodded thank you. Hey, can you get me something? I'll certainly try. I'd really like a cigarette. Thank you for sharing my nightmares and helping me carry the grief. 
That concludes Venus in Running Shorts. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed telling it. Leave your thoughts in the comments below and tell me what you think. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications. If you'd like to support the show, share your favorite nightmare with a friend or family member, or consider buying one of my books on Amazon. You can also join my Patreon for $3 and get access to early episodes and behind-the-scenes insights into each story. I've left links for both below. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram, Facebook, or Threads. Just look for Nightmares and Grief and you'll find me. Thanks for sharing this time with me. Good night.